few years. Remember, we are in the final weeks of Jesus' life, okay? He rode into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. And he is here, he's cleared out the temple, he's teaching the people, and they're coming at him with all sides with different questions. All of the religious elite, that's the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, the teachers of the law, the priests, they all want Jesus deposed. Because the people love him. The people love Jesus and they flock to him and his teachings. And that creates a problem because it's taking the power from the religious elite. So they're looking for any way they can to debunk him. They have these think tanks going to to come up with questions to trap Jesus and to expose him. They're, They're trying to myth bust this whole thing about Jesus if they can just get the people to chill out and stop being so excited about Jesus, we can all get back to what we were doing before. Us, the religious elite, <laughs> like that's what they're feeling. Like, where, where's our, where, I like the way it was when I was kind of in charge. And now I have this rabbi um, going around and making a fool of the teachings that I believe. So here in Luke 20, we have to kind of do a step back. We've already seen Jesus be approached by the elders and the leaders and the scribes and the lawyers and, um, and asked about his authority. Remember two weeks ago, we talked about John the Baptist's baptism. And, and so a whole group of leaders came to Jesus and asked him this question about his authority. Last week, it says, you know, the Pharisees had some spies that they sent to ask Jesus about taxes and government. And that's what Charlie's sermon. And so now we have these people being planted. Hey, Jesus, tell us about taxes. Like they're planting people in there to ask questions. And today we have another group. So Luke 20 is literally just a bunch of all the leaders at different times coming to Jesus and asking him these questions. We're on page 734 of the Worship Center Bible. Or you can, uh, you can follow along on, up, on, up on screens. Luke 20, 27. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. Now let's just stop there. Because this is a new group. The Sadducees. And when they come to him, when they ask him a question, it it would not be just a back and forth. It would be very interesting. See, they would interrupt what he was saying or they would they would wait and they would ask a question, and the entire crowd would get silent. They would listen to the question. This was this was the way their their the culture worked. They would listen to the question. And then turn to the rabbi. What's he going to say? And your entire movement could stop just like that if you had a bad answer to a good question. All the momentum for Jesus, if he's answered and they went, oh, that's not at all what we like or what we wanted. That doesn't sound true at all. That's wrong. It could all stop. So when these questions would come, it was a, it was a battle of who, who's going to win in this moment. So the Sadducees would come forward, ask the question, the people would stop and wait to hear the rabbi's response. So who are the Sadducees? Now there's a religious elite at the time, and it's a two-party system. I don't know if you guys don't know anything about a two-party system, but that's what they had going on back there. They had the Pharisees and they had the Sadducees. These, these two different groups. The Sadducees were lower in number, but they were the elite of the elite. The top one percenters. The Pharisees, there was more of them, and they were the one that they, they came into contact with Jesus most. And in fact, some people believe that Jesus was from the Pharisees. The Sadducees were a completely different, and they had a different belief. In fact, very unique beliefs. Beliefs. The Sadducees did not believe in any afterlife. They didn't believe in any resurrection. They didn't believe the immortality of the soul. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in any kind of predestination or divine will. They believed it was all free will. 
And so you take those beliefs and you put them together and you have someone who says, I believe there's no afterlife and everything I do is just of my own choice. There's no spiritual things going on here and so I kind of get to do whatever I want. And the Sadducees were known for this. In fact, it was said that the quote was, um, the chief aim of mankind was to be happy and enjoy himself. The freedom they, they took advantage of because they could do whatever they wanted. And they had so much money and so much power and so much respect based on how the culture was set up. They would throw these lavish parties and just invite, guess who? The other 1%. The ruling class. They were, they were also um, the least Jewish. They adopted cultural views. They were Hellenistic uh, and Greek and Roman. They would, they would incorporate those into who they are. And that alone was enough to have the Pharisees just despise them. You see, the Pharisees, they're the forefathers of modern Judaism. If not for the Pharisees and their love and their protection of what um, was Jewish about the Old Testament, much of that would have been lost through all the captivities. But the Pharisees wanted to keep their culture how it was, the way God had given it to them in the old times. And so the Pharisees could not stand that the Sadducees would throw off their Jewish roots and go party with the Greeks and the Romans and all these things. You see, the Pharisees hated the Sadducees for corrupting the core of God's message. And the Sadducees, they pitied the poor Pharisees because the Pharisees were so concerned with being righteous for a heaven that doesn't exist. And so we have these two warring classes, this two-party system. They were all rich. They were all lavish. The Sadducees ate and drank and partied while the Pharisees ate and drank and discussed the Torah. And it was all the best food. There was a third class, just because, you know, when you have two-party system, there's always a third party that comes in at some point, just upset that the two parties have ruined it all, and they were the Essenes. And so they came on the scene, and they said, we are out of here. We're out of Jerusalem, and they went off and lived in the desert, and because of the Essenes, the third-party system, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest documents we have of some of the Bible. So we have this system, and so now you kind of get a view of who these Sadducees are, the top 1%, and they come to Jesus, they approach him here in Luke 20. It says, he was approached by the Sadducees, the religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. And they pose this question, teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife but no children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. You guys heard of that rule? <laughs> that if a woman dies and she doesn't have any children, the bro- she needs to marry the brother? Like, how much do you love your brother-in-law? How much do you love your sister-in-law? Isn't that a strange and wild like, rule from Moses? Isn't that just antiquated and ancient? And like at some point, they just think like, that poor woman. Like she lost her husband and now she has to marry her brother-in-law? Like, <laughs> Can I just tell you something? Some of the most confounding, strange parts of the Old Testament that we go, that is just sounds sexist and it sounds like, oh, she has to go marry a brother-in-law. Did you know that those are some of the most beautiful leaps forward in justice and in social ways? Did you know that? Can I tell you what, uh, this is for free, okay? This is out of, let's go back to Deuteronomy, because I, I just like this. In Deuteronomy 25, this law comes to being. Moses says there's this law that if, if a wife, and a, if, if there's a husband and wife and he dies and she has no sons, she should marry the brother-in-law. Why? Well, that doesn't sound like a good choice at all. But back then, we have to remember the world was tribal. And by tribal, I mean family, familial, and tribal. And so, so the more kids we had, the stronger we were. And what was the life expectancy of those kids? So you had a lot of kids, and you hoped that they became sons and warriors because the next tribe could come and conquer you. And they would kill your husbands and kill your men and take your women and your children, and they would be servants. 
That's how the world was when Deuteronomy 25 was written. And in fact, for women, guess what would happen to women back then? Before Deuteronomy 25, culturally, what would happen? You see, a woman, if her husband died and she had no sons, she was destitute. She then had to sell herself into slavery or prostitution. So Moses comes along and inspired by God has this beautiful new law, this leap forward in women's rights that says when the, wom the woman is the most vulnerable, vulnerable person in the tribe, a widow is the most vulnerable person in the entire tribe, give her full rights as a wife. And when she bears a son, that son will carry on her husband, her first husband's name. And that lineage will continue. But she will not be discarded and she will not sell herself into anything. No, no, she will have the full rights of all the women in the tribe. Uh-huh. Okay, so, Old Testament, full of strange things, full of beautifully strange things in context of what they are. You today should probably not marry your brother-in-law. If it works out, great. But like, I'm not, it's, <laughs> we're not saying that, that that's what you should do now, okay? Okay. Back, back to the lecture at hand. Um, a strange teaching, it protected women, but why would we, why was, they're bringing this up? They're bringing up this old Mosaic law and Jesus is just tracking with them. I, Jesus knows the Torah, he knows the scripture, he is the scripture, he's the word, he wrote it and these men come with this question and I just wonder what he was like inside as he hears them kind of, they're trying to reel him in and just get him on these questions. So we have it posed, a woman marries a man and her husband dies. Well, suppose there's seven brothers, Jesus, and the oldest one married, and then he died without children. So the second brother married the widow, and he also died. Then the third brother married her. This continued through all seven of them, and all of them died without children. Finally, the woman also died. Finally. Like, what a, what a life. So tell us, Jesus, whose wife will she be at the resurrection? For she married all seven of them. This, this is a, what a brain buster. These guys come up, they, they get in their little think tank and they go, what should we do? Let's have seven brothers, okay. And, and they come up with this question. It's so wild. I mean, like it, these days it would be a widow in San Francisco going by train at 34 miles per hour and seven brothers leave Chicago. Who gets to Carbondale first and who she married to? <laughs> like it's just, it's just, they're just making up circumstances. They're just making up things. They're just trying to bust our brain. And you can just see Jesus sitting there going, What? What? Seven, bro seven brothers? This, this, this lady, she gets to heaven and they all show up. Hello, darling. Well, that's an awkward heaven. <laughs> Which one of you? <laughs> the Sadducees, man, they have really thought this out. They have mined the Old Testament and all of the theology to find something that no one would know, no one could answer. But what the irony of irony is, what do the, I've already told you some of their beliefs, what do the Sadducees not believe in? Heaven. So they're asking a question that they don't even believe has any relevance. This question is nonsense to them. They're simply asking it to trap Jesus because they think it's one of those, it's, it's so wild in its circumstances, surely if he makes any statement of, she's married to the third one. Oh, then we got him. Like, what answer could he possibly, if he says, you know, th in fact, there's none of them go to heaven now. Because, oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever he answers, they're going to have some room to wiggle on. They've concocted this brain buster for this rabbi, but, and they don't even believe what, what they're asking, and it's so ridiculous. Seven times a widow. 
who she married to. But before we go any further, we have to see that these Sadducees aren't doing anything that modern people don't do. We, we do this. We, we've heard these questions. We might have asked these questions. Questions like, okay, there's a remote tribe out in the middle of the jungle that never hears about Jesus. Where do they go? You thought of that one, right? Asked, I get asked that one a lot. What happens to the tribe who never hears about it? Jesus? There's another one. Can God create a rock so big he can't lift it? Because if he's all-powerful, he can create a rock that big. But then if he's all-powerful, he can also lift. So I guess God doesn't exist. <laughs> like, you know? There's these, these brain busters of, you know, and then, and then we got to go. There's, there's different ones, some closer to the heart. If God's so perfect, why is the world so imperfect? If God's so loving, why is there so much suffering? Why are, Christian, why are Christians sub, such hypocrites? And why is Christian radio so bad? Like, there's just... <laughs> There's just some things that we ask and sometimes we care about the answer and sometimes we just like to ask it as an accusation or a trap. There are people in the church who take up a lot of time and a lot of Facebook real estate and a lot of energy and a lot of discussions with questions like predestination versus free will, Calvinism versus Arminianism. I mean, am I preaching here today because I chose to or before the pillars of time God intended it? Like there's all these discussions and if you've been to seminary or you shouldn't go to seminary and if you do, you get to talk about all that stuff and you get to just argue for hours and you don't know why. And then here's a good one. This is from history. How many angels can stand on the head of a pin? Have you heard this? This was a huge debate. There were huge theology guys involved in this and they would have discussions and fights. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Because if an angel has substance, even if it's invisible, can they, can they stand in the same place? If they can take up the same space, then infinity. But they probably can't, so then like three? Like they had whole discussions about this. Churches split over this kind of stuff. What kind of worship is the best kind? Uh, we believe in Jesus, but come on, is he the only way? Really? Is the Bible all really true? And then there's cultural and moral and political issues that get thrown in, like what does Jesus think about conservatives and liberals and, and socialists and Republicans and Democrats and, and what about gender identities and, and, and what would Jesus say about foreign policy and seriously, like Trump and Hillary and Bernie and Kanye, who does Jesus love the most? And, you know, like, and more importantly, who would Jesus vote for? <laughs> like... All these questions swirling around in the courtroom, in the church, in the media, and the Sadducees, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing here. This, these seven brothers, they all die. Who's married to who? And these questions will continue until Jesus comes back in his second coming and says, here's the answers to all these things. In our three-year journey of Luke, we have watched Jesus as he's building something new, haven't we? I hope you've come to see Jesus in a new light as he has began building something and revealing what he is like and what his kingdom is like. A new way of living, a new way of loving, a radical way of looking at God, calling him our father, which was just unheard of to have a personal our father God relationship with the creator. He comes along and he gives new meaning to old teachings like baptism and like the Sabbath. And, and pretty soon he's gonna show us communion. And then he gets more brain busters, even like last week's taxes where he says, render unto Caesars what is Caesars. And he's saying, listen, Caesars image might be on your coin, but may God's image be on your heart. He's consistently showing us a new thing. 
He's consistently pointing to one thing, the main thing. He's building up the main thing. And in his teachings, all through this, we begin to see the main thing come to the surface. And can I tell you what's not the main thing in Jesus' teaching? Seven dead guys and a widow. Political agendas, taxes. Like these are not the main thing for Jesus. He's not on the cross going, this is for the widow and the seven brothers. This is not what he's about. These are not main things. The main things as we've been on this journey, the resounding main thing of the gospel I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus. It literally is Jesus. He is the main thing, who he is, his identity, what he's about. In fact, the entire Bible, Old Testament, points forward towards somebody, and the New Testament reveals and points forward to what it looks like to live in him. It's Jesus. It is Jesus come fully man, fully God. He lived a perfect life. He, he was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended. It is Jesus. And in his words, he says this, I am the life, I am the truth, and I am the way, and no one comes to the Father except for through me. The main thing is Jesus. And the main thing that he asks us to be and do, the Shema. That's that prayer that we've talked about for two years. The, Jesus said, what's the most important commandment? What does the whole Bible hang upon? It hangs on this. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people as yourself which is where our vision comes from, love God and love people. The main thing is Jesus, and the main thing that we are to be and do in him is to love God and love people. And any time, listen, the church, we, each of us individually, each of us, and as a community, we are called to do this one thing, to take our light of our life and illuminate Jesus to a world that needs to see him. Did you know that's the purpose and calling of the church? Do you know that's the purpose and calling of your life? There's, oh, I could take this back to the Old Testament to show how God has set this up, that we are to be a light to illuminate one thing, and that's Jesus. And anytime the church or an individual moves their light away from illuminating Jesus, they're off purpose, they're out of their identity, and they're not effective. The issue could be good, it's not Jesus. The issue could be important, it's not Jesus. It could be culturally relevant and timely, but it's not Jesus. Our identity and our purpose and our calling as Jesus followers and as a church is to illuminate and highlight and glorify and make famous the name and person of Jesus. That is who we are to be. He lived a revolutionary, radical life, and we are called to follow in those revolutionary footsteps and reveal him to a world that needs him desperately. What about those politics that I mentioned? And the politicians. Could you imagine the travesty of a spiritual purpose if a church decided to move its light away from Jesus onto a candidate on either side? Talk about loss of purpose. Could you imagine if a church decided to utilize its energy and its purpose and its, its light to fulfill a political agenda on either side? And what about Jesus' followers personally? Are we called to use on, on this earth to use our greatest light to illuminate candidates or issues or Jesus? Now, now let, me ask, let me just say this before we cherry pick this thing. Uh, is, is being politically active wrong? No, it is not at all. And hear me on this. For, for many of you, 
Be as active and as, and as involved as you feel called to be as God leads you. In fact, there are some of you who God has placed in places of influence to cause change that only you can do as you illuminate Jesus in politics. So be politically active. But what about, what about morality? That's, that's politics. What about morality? Could you imagine if a church moved its light away from the purpose of illuminating Jesus and moved it to policing morality? Could you imagine that? Yeah, we can. <laughs> we see it happen all the time. We have a reputation for being judging because of the very thing. We've, we, pick, we move our light to certain sins and go, look at that sin. Look at that one. You and you, you're probably worse. Like, we move the light around. Talk about being off purpose. The church has been guilty of policing morality in others for centuries. And when the church moves its light to police morality, off of illuminating the person and beauty of Jesus. We're off purpose and we're not as effective as he has called us to be. Now, I could go on through any issue there is that we would, the church or an individual would move their light from, but I think we need to restate the true agenda of God, the true, the true core of what God is. We have over here, we have Jesus in the middle. The main thing we have this main thing, but then outside of this main thing, we have all these orbiting issues, all these unlimited questions. Let's just put up here, let's put, let's put seven, um, seven brothers, seven bros, for that question they gave. Well, what about the seven brothers? Over here we have, we have what, oh, what about sin? What about specific sins? What, what about translations of the Bible? Trans of the Bible. What, what, about, uh, what, about, what, about, what about Democrats? What about Republicans? And what about these things? What, what about all these things that we look at? What about this? Um, worship volume. Whew. I almost wrote it in there, but I, at the last second I put it over there. Okay. What about, what about this? Who's preaching? What about money? That's, that's a, always a fun one. What about all these things? Service time. Add in whatever else you want to. Add in any and every issue. Add them all in. Any social issue, any political issue, any morality issue. The one thing that has consistently hurt the church through history and continues to this day is when any church or people, especially church, will take any of these issues out here orbiting and draw them into the middle and say, now that's important. Now that is the main thing. Or it's as important as the main thing. Or even more dangerous, this issue, I think that this issue, let's see, let's just, I think this issue, that is Christ's mission on earth. Let's pull that one way in. Let's pull, let's pull this one way in. You see, any issue, the danger has always been is when the main thing gets, something from outer orbit gets pulled into the middle and highlighted. This is why we're here, to make sure that sinners know they're bad. Churches picket funerals. I think some churches have moved their light away from Jesus. And this isn't a judgment on, on the church. This is a judgment on us. This is all of us. The church is made of people, individuals. All of us in our life have our issues out here and at one point or another we have taken the issue and pulled it inside and some of the issues are simply preferences. 
We made a preference the main thing. This is how churches split. You know that, right? You guys ever been a part of a church split? Not near as fun as a banana split. It's like the worst split ever. It's the, it's the worst split in the world. It's just painful. I have a friend of mine whose job is to counsel churches and pastors, and he sent me a little list of some reasons that he's dealt with just recently. Uh, one church split because they, had the, they let the youth group, someone let the youth group do an interpretive dance to a worship song on stage. And that church split. Split means we are, we're breaking up. We're gonna go start our church. You, you start your church. We're done. We're done with each other. One conservative church split trying to decide if men could shave their beards or not. That's a hairy one. <laughs> I love when the spirit moves. You just, man, man. One church went from pews to chairs and that was it. Some people stood up and said, I will not stand for this or sit for it. <laughs> I will not be comfortable on Sunday mornings. I did not come here to sit on comfort. I am out of here. And I looked it up. There's other like real churches split because they could not agree on the color of the new carpet, which is why we just ordered it and didn't tell you. Like some of you didn't even know. <laughs> um, one church split because they could not agree on whether the lawn and back should be used for a children's playground or a cemetery. And I just say this, it's Solomon's wisdom, do both. Have the tombstones be slides. Like we could all, <laughs> we could all win. We can all win. These orbiting issues detract from the main thing, and they're nothing new. In Acts, in Acts, this is one of my favorite little passages, Paul is out there teaching the word of God, and people are just soaking up. He's on the mission field preaching about Jesus and all that he's done with power and movement and healings, and the church in Jerusalem calls him up, and they don't call him, they, you know, they, they send him a tablet and said, hey, you need to come back to Jerusalem. We have a huge issue on our hands, and the church is about to split. So Paul comes off the mission field. He leaves what he's called to do and be and preach, and he gets back to Jerusalem, and the church is there, and, and Jesus' brother James is in charge of it, and there's all these elders there, and Paul he comes in. All right, man, what is it? What's going on? What's, what's the issue? What did you pull me off the mission field for? What, what's so important that this church is about to split? Oh, Paul, it's, it's a big one. It's circumcision. Oh, I'm not lying. Paul's like, what? You, 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 you called me here to settle a debate about whether we, that's an issue in the new kingdom? In fact, Paul is so sick of it. Later on, he writes, and I, excuse me, he, he, it's in the Bible. He says, for those so concerned about circumcision, I wish they would just go ahead and go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Like, he's just done with those people. He's like, you pulled me off the mission field to talk about that. I got bigger things to do. And so he's, he's like, I'm going back to what I'm called to do. You move the light to this thing. You drag something here and said, well, but what about that? <laughs> but we can't really judge these people too much. We can't. I can't. I, I mean, I've been in church since I was born. And, and church has been uh, my industry for so long. And, and people come and go for any and every reason. And, and, and a lot of the reason they come, they, they come and go is based on preference. See, the seduction of preference, what I like most, starts out here and begins to just slowly creep its way in. Whatever it might be, 
begins to creep its way in until the point where you go, I'm not going to go there anymore because the worship's too loud. Now, there's all kinds of ones. We have, we've, had, we've had a few actually here. Um, the people actually step away because the worship was too modern and too loud. And some step away because it wasn't modern and loud enough. People because who's preaching? People because of what's being preached. Um, because we allowed women in leadership. Because we, we, were, we were too spirit-led and too many spiritual gifts. And other people left because we we're not near spirit-led enough, not near enough spiritual gifts. Who's on staff and who's not on staff? We're too honest with finances. We're not near honest enough. We're too lax as leadership. We're too controlling as leadership. The service is too late. It's too early. Worship is too long. That's not near long enough. Some of you are just like, who are these people? <laughs> and then like me, my, I always get so upset. I want the sermon to be longer. Just more. More sermon. That's just more me. I, 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 just, I just pull that in the middle weekly and I have to die to that. But here's the deal. You, if you name it, they, they, someone, us, we have made it the main thing at some point and left somewhere. And the question is the main thing. Is the main thing the main thing? Jesus Christ lived, died, resurrected, and calling us into a new way of living. See, see when I, Daniel Self, gave my life to Jesus, my spirit, the deepest part of me, was indwelled by his spirit. His spirit took residence there. And, and, and did you know my spirit, did you know my spirit isn't Republican or Democrat or independent? Do you know the deepest core of who I am isn't ba Baptist or Catholic or Methodist? Did, did you know that, that I may have a political affiliation, but my spirit is affiliated to heaven? Did you know that I might vote for a president, but in my spirit I answer to a king? Do you know I might be a citizen of America, but in my spirit I walk as a citizen of heaven first? So let's be careful about our affiliations and preferences and who we judge and do not judge because as we follow Jesus, the deepest core of us belongs to someone who's not of this world. We are citizens of heaven first. You see, the deepest part of me is built on and longs for the main thing. And when I allow orbiting issues, whatever it may be for me, to get drawn to the center, I'm off purpose. The main thing, Jesus, should flow from the core of my heart. In fact, um, and we preached this earlier. Um, Martha and Mary are, are, are with Jesus. And Jesus is teaching. And, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. And Martha's working, concerned with all different kinds of things. And she goes and she complains, Jesus, why is it you, you let Mary uh, sit there and listen to you teach? Well, I have to work. And he just says this. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, Martha, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken for her. You are upset about many things in this world. I get on Facebook, there's a lot of things that upset me. I get on the news, I turn on anything. There's so many things. There's one thing to be concerned about. Pull yourself back to what matters most in life and live from the purpose you are called to. To redeem, to love, to give grace, to give justice, to be a person who loves God and loves people in a way that people don't understand, that you forgive when they don't deserve it, that you love when they're unlovable. You be that person at work. You be that person at home. You return to the core of the calling God gave you. 
Because there's a lot of things to be upset about, and they all take us off. And the Sadducees, listen, they came to Jesus, they came to him with an orbiting issue to take him off the main thing. They want to divide the people. They wanted to ask a question and have it go so bad that people splinter and leave Jesus. That's what a lot of people want us to, have to do. That's what a lot of the TV and the news wants to have. They give us an issue and we splinter. They want to divide, but Jesus was a unifier. He's a unifier under him, the main thing. And so the Sadducees, they tried to divide and split the church with an orbiting issue, but Jesus responds to this question in an amazing way. He usually just responds with a question, but now he gives an answer. It, what's so funny is the question they give him is unanswerable to anybody, anybody on the earth except for one man who knows the afterlife. Who created it? They asked the wrong person, the wrong question. They should ask something else because he's like, oh, I know the afterlife. So he gives them this answer. We're, we're going to play this through here. He says, listen, they ask about marriage and who's he married to. Marriage is for people here on earth. In the age to come, those worthy of being raised from the dead will neither be married, well, they, they will not marry and they will not be given in marriage in heaven. They will never die again in respect. They will be like angels. They are, they are children of God and children of the resurrection. There will be a huge wedding in heaven. As, his, as the church, his bride, marries Jesus. So, so Jesus says, you're asking about who she's married to. There's, gonna, there's bigger things. Of, there's there's going to be more. There's going to be more going on in heaven. And then he dives into the whole resurrection thing. He gives them this just to chew on for free. Um, and I'm not, I don't have time to just go into all this. But now... Or Sadducees, as to whether the dead will be raised, because he knows that's the real thing. As to the resurrection, even Moses proved this when he wrote about the burning bush. See, long after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were all dead, he referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living. He's saying they're still alive in God. Those saints that have gone before are still alive. There is an afterlife. It's like, oh, he was the God of Abraham. He was the God of Jacob. No, no, he is, those, he is the God of Abraham. The people will said, well said, teacher, remarked some of the teachers of religious law. Do you know who that is? The Pharisees. They said, well said, teacher. For the first time ever, the Pharisees agree with him as he just, he kind of like agreed with them that there is a resurrection. Well said, teacher. Like then they're like, ah. Oh. And then it says, no one dared ask him any more questions. They ask him of a divisive question and he gives an inclusive, inclusive answer. But he isn't done. See, and I can't, I'm not going to go into the next, you don't, have to, don't even put it on screen, Steve because it's, 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 it's too complicated. You're, you're, you're welcome to read ahead about, the, about David, but all, this, all it is is this. He gives them a question. Do you know what he asks about? He goes, I got a question for you guys. I got a question for you. And he doesn't ask about anything out here. He asks about the identity of the Messiah, the main thing. He brings them back to the question of who is the Messiah, the son of David. He brings them back to the main thing. Bottom line, Orchard, is this. In a room this size, there are many people with many issues that are very close to your heart. And some of them might be on this board. And some of them might have got poked and prodded today. And, you might, and some of you might have issues that aren't, you, they're not up here, but you know, what, you know what they are. We all have issues that are close to our heart. And, and, and a lot of us, we want to know that our church is in step with us. In step with us at the picket line. And at, at the voting line, at the communion line, the culture line, the morality line, we want to know that the church is in step with us. But we are, the orchard are truly sticking to the one thing. Jesus and his command to love God and love people. 
Now, the question is, how does this flesh out? And that's the beautiful part of the body of Christ. How does this flesh out? I'll tell you this. The beautiful thing is this. As a body of believers, you are, some of you are born activists who are out there being politically active and you're designed by that to go out there and, and, to, and, to, to, be, and, and to reach people that others will not. Some are very introverted and quiet and you're behind the scenes interceding and resourcing and loving those that people don't know about. Some of you are here and you're creating opportunities in our community to help those who are in need. I know of professionals who give their expenses and their services away for free to those in need. In all different ways, all throughout the week, all of you are out there being you. And that's the beauty of what God has called us to. See, see we all need the freedom to go be us. And, and, and here's the greatest part of it. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes into what it means to be the body of Christ. We are all unique. The hand can do what the knee would never do, but the knee can do what the hand can't do. And the rump can do what only the rump does. Can you imagine a church of people just like you? We, we want to know our church is with us and how we vote and how we think and how we morality and all. Can you imagine a church of all yous? The Bible talks about it. It says, can you imagine a church of where everyone's an I? How would, it, how would it run? Could you imagine a church that was all legs? They have a word for that. It's called a monstrosity. If you want a church of all you, it's a horror show. The, listen, the world needs a body of Christ that is unique and rare and gifted in all different ways. And we need that person. We need that rump. We need that knee. We need all different yous to make us. And so when you look over at somebody and they're different than you and they voted different than you and they kind of seem different than you, you celebrate the fact that you are in the body of Christ and, we, and that they are reaching people you will never talk to and that they're bringing life and they're loving in a way that you can't and you won't. Do we get this? Because we're here for the main thing, the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ, to bring him to places where there's darkness and to love in a way that, that others do not love. It is in our diversity and calling and personality that we fit together as a church in a unique way. So today's message is easy. It's an easy message. Keep the main thing the main thing in your life and in our church. When it comes to worship, I don't like that song. It, praise Jesus in it. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever gone to a different church like on vacation you go visit someone else's church and it's just way different and you're like man I didn't know the organs were that loud I didn't know they were that big those pipes or a church with no music hey you go there and you find the main thing in it and you praise Jesus with no music or with pipes or with guitar or with chants I don't even know as long as it's about Jesus and when you find yourself coming distracted with preferences that are moving the way to the middle, remind yourself of why you are here and whose you are. You're here because Jesus Christ saved your soul and he calls you to be different. On this day of celebrating freedom, let's stop and celebrate the freedom that God has given us. The freedom to be singular in our love and focus. The freedom to let everybody else be who they are in Jesus. The freedom to love those who are different than us. We are blessed in this country to be able to, to gather like we are now. We celebrate that. But Orchard, as we leave this place and you go, you have a divine privilege as a called and redeemed child of God to go forth into a world that needs him and bring the message of life. What a privilege. And you do it best when you're you through your gifts, through your personality. 
So as we go into communion today, we're going to celebrate that which gave us freedom in our spirit. Today, this this week, we'll celebrate what gives us freedom as a nation, but in our spirit, in our soul, the freedom from sin and from death, Jesus Christ, his his body broken, his blood shed. And I wanna say this, if you're here today, you're visiting, and and, and you're not resolved on this Jesus thing, if you wanna talk or pray, we would love to talk more with you. I'd love to pray with you about that. If you're here today and you have a prayer concern just about life, whether it be something um, that you would like somebody to pray with you on, or maybe just a blessing, you got a big week ahead of you, we're gonna have people at the front and the back, come find us. But during this time, reacclimate yourself, retune yourself to the main thing, to what matters most. And as we praise and sing this song, lift your voice and lift your heart to Jesus. For under him we are here, and for him we gather. Amen?